Father, we do sing of your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Lord, we, in the, the darkest of nights, we call your name. And you are always faithful. Sometimes we may not experience it in the moment. But Lord, you give us glimpses into your glory, into your person. You give us moments where we understand that even when we think we stand alone, you are actually holding us. And Father, we're so grateful and we're so thankful for who you are, for what you have done for us. We pray today that we would be able to experience that holding just a little bit. We ask this through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, for His glory. Amen. Please, please be seated. So, when the, the Confederates surrendered at Appomattox, uh, General Grant, knowing the, the war was over, the South was defeated, he, he showed great kindness and great respect to General Robert E. Lee and his, and his men. Lee was allowed to ride in and out of the camp unhindered. And, uh, and Grant also permitted the Confederate soldiers to keep their possessions, to keep their horses, uh, to go uh, unhindered back to their homes. He even, he even distributed food for them. Lee was permanently touched by Grant's kindness. And after the war, Lee became the president of Washington College, which is now known as Washington and Lee University in Virginia. On one occasion, one of his fellow instructors, uh, also a Southerner, began to badmouth Grant. And Lee, if you know anything about Lee, he's known for a few things, uh, one of which is this death stare that he had. And he turned, he looked at the man straight in the eye, and he said, Sir, if you ever again presume to speak dishonorably of General Grant in my presence, either you or I will sever his connection with this university. <laughs> now recently, the memory of General Lee has fallen on hard times. And even General Stanley McChrystal threw away a 30-year gift at his wedding. A picture of Robert E. Lee. Put it in the garbage, 2017. The only point that I want to make there is it's difficult to learn from history if history's in the garbage. Winston Churchill wrote this, These that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. But at least for this moment, we learn that General Lee had received such kindness from General Grant that he was loyal to Grant for his kindness to Lee's men. And the opposite of loyalty is disloyalty. J.R.R. Tolkien wrote about that in The Fellowship of the Ring when he said, Faithless is he 
who says a farewell when the road darkens. Now, of course, like Tolkien himself, the, uh, the larger context of that quote is far more complex. But, but loyalty remains at the very top of character development. Uh, the term loyalty comes from an old, it's an old French word, which means true faith and allegiance, essentially all into uh, one, one package. True and faithful and allegiant. Loyalty means this commitment to a, a cause, a, a purpose, or a person. And it embodies the conviction to stand behind it regardless of what may come. It does not waver. In recognition of Reformation Sunday, Martin Luther said in the context of obedience to God and loyalty, where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. He's talking about Christian warfare, not physical battle, even though both are true. Loyalty is when your loved one stands beside you when times are hard. It's when an employee takes a cut in order to save a company. It's when a soldier obeys orders that he or she would rather not because of the danger. Loyalty is an admirable personal quality of devotion, of steadfastness, even under trying circumstances. But, uh, but like General Lee in today's modern age, Loyalty has also fallen on hard times. And that's true of us as well. The institutions in our society are unraveling before our very eyes. According to Gallup, in 1970, 47% of Americans had a great deal of trust and faith in the church. Today, that's 19%. For the first time in our history, more people say that they don't hold to any faith at all than those that say that they do. Only 5%, some of these numbers should not surprise you, only 5% trust the Congress. I don't know where we find those 5%. I think it's the Congress people and their families. Uh, 8% trust newspapers. I haven't read a newspaper in 20 years. 6% the TV news. Now, the military, which has historically been the most trusted institution next to the church in our country, is now down to 37% which is high, but not that high. I'm not even going to mention the FBI, banks, other institutions. Our loyalties are being challenged and they're they're waning. I mean, we want to be loyal, but we, we, we want to be loyal to something that's worthy of our loyalty. I mean, sadly... Uh, And this isn't in the distant future. Um, Some institutions will demand our loyalty, no longer caring about the worth of it, only the power. I mean, and this is true not just in the 
executive and the legislative and the judicial. This is true in the corporate world. This is true in our educational systems. I mean, once names of universities that were spoken in hushed tones out of reverence are now proclaiming that words like sanity check, secretary, clerk, brown bag lunch, grandfathered, girl, boy, gal, guy, ladies and gentlemen are now unwords which is an Orwellian term if you're familiar with that. In other words, they can no longer be spoken in polite society. And if you do, it's not simply that you're ignorant, it's you're a Neanderthal. Learn what the unwords are. And there's books full of unwords these days. Thankfully, thankfully, because I could go on and you guys could go on too. You probably are in your own minds with your stuff that you know. But thankfully, there is one who commands our loyalty, the Lord God Almighty. And Malachi has something to say to us about that today. Turn in your Bible to it's the very last book in the Old Testament. If you only know where the New Testament is, that's fine. Just start at the first book in the New Testament and go one back and you got it. Malachi, just before Matthew, it is in Malachi that God's prophet is confronting directly the spiritual disloyalty in the hearts of his people. Uh, the loyalty, the disloyalty, I should say, of the people who had returned from captivity as well as the ones who had remained there. And everything was falling apart once again. And yet loyalty is a character trait that God really wants in us. I mean, we, we saw it exhibited with Joshua's loyalty to Moses, Jonathan's loyalty to David. I mean, even Daniel had loyalty to that great pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar. For when loyalty is lacking, relationships are undermined. I'm telling you, loyalty is a, it's a big deal. When it's undermined, trust diminishes, devotion erodes, Faithfulness disappears. Steadfastness crumbles. And Malachi is telling us here that the, the Israelites had been disloyal to God. Not only that, they were disloyal to His Word, their friends, and even their spouses. And Let me say uh, this before we read the text. I don't know how many versions of the Bible we have out there. But what I'm going to read, unless you're looking in the ESV, doubtless will not be what you read. The reason for that is that this text in Scripture is the most difficult in the entire book of Malachi. And not only that, it's probably the most difficult text in all of the Old Testament to translate. Simply because some of the words that are used and the phrasing that are used are only used once, and they're probably... Uh, like a metaphor or something. So lots of people have lots of different takes. So don't worry if what I read you say, well, that's not what my Bible says. In fact, when you look at it, some of the most uh, really uh, astute men and women who have studied this, they actually say it's, it's, it's hopeless to know precisely what these words mean. It would be like going... 2,500 
years in the future in a different language and them trying to figure out uh, what blesses heart means. Because that can mean a whole lot of stuff. We know what the words are, but that's not the way they're used. Anyway, so here we are and uh, with, with, with the text. So if you see something different, uh, fear not. The message itself is not obscured by the different translations. The message comes through loud and clear, even though some of the wording might be uh, different. Verses 10 through 16 is where we'll look today. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless and, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one? with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. I'll go through some of these things and explain them a little bit more uh, because some of your texts may have been fairly radically different from that. But the movement of Malachi's argument is, is really spectacular. What he's saying is God created us. And by that creation, he has placed us in family relationship with one another. In particular, by becoming the God of Israel, Israel as the way that he was going to uh, develop a pathway to salvation through Jesus Christ ultimately, and is a metaphor used as his wife in many, many uh, occasions. He says that Judah has profaned that covenant by being faithless and disloyal and marrying the daughter of a foreign god. The word is singular. Judah did this. And according to Malachi, that only results in death. The spiritual leaders and the priests were, were disobeying the word of God. And, and then he argues that they cover the altar with their tears. So they did this thing, and now they're crying and moaning and weeping and groaning because God's not answering their prayers. And they ask, why? Why did you do this? 
And it's, he, he goes on to say, it's because you divorced your Jewish wives in order to marry pagan women. Now, I trust the parallel here is, is crystal clear to you. In essence, Judah abandoned God to marry a godless religion. In other words, they went from Yahweh worship, which was a problem for Israel all the way stopped before the New Testament, but it was still going on here in Malachi, and they had moved towards the worship of the, the Asherah and Baal. And this was something, and, they, and they're wondering why. God, why, why won't you answer my prayers? And they're like, God's like, yeah, I'm not going I, I, to answer your prayers when you've done this thing. This abandonment of the faith led to the literal abandonment of their Jewish wives. Disloyalty to God ultimately leads to sin. It's the disloyalty to God that precedes sin in our life. Sin is not the leading edge. It is our faithlessness to God that is the leading edge. But because we don't see that well, we don't see how they're connected to one another. The first order sin here is abandoning God. Now, just as water can only rise to the level of its source, so the spiritual level that people can attain is generally tied to their, their leaders, whatever context that is. Uh, and sadly, Israel's spiritual leaders had failed miserably. We, I mean, we've, we've seen that over the last couple of weeks, how poorly Israel's leaders had done. And there was disloyalty to God among the leadership. And this was a real problem because it was leading to a spiritual disunity of the national family such that, that people were being disloyal to one another even, even in the, uh, the family, and even to their own spiritual families and their own, their own marriages. The interesting thing here is he, it, there's a shift, and you can notice it when you look in the text, that he moves from blasting the leaders and Judah in general to all the people in particular. So this is, this is leaders and the people. It's not singled out just for leadership. This is for everyone. They were all, they, and for us, the lessons that we can draw from here are for all God-fearing people. And it illustrates what happens when someone does not follow God's word. And what we need to do in order to understand the real meaning of the text is to figure out what the main point is. Howard Hendricks uh, often would, would proclaim, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's truly the important thing because what happens is, is we get lost. When we get lost on subtext, when we get lost on things that are not the, the root of the issue, then our applications and our uh, attempts to fix the issue are based on the symptoms and not on the cause. And so we have to keep the main thing the main thing. Now, preachers thunder about the meaning of this text. And it's almost always and exclusively about divorce. 
And in so doing, these messages only tend to be relevant to very few, or at least few, in their congregation. Now, it's true that the Bible has a lot to say about divorce, but that's not the disease here. That's not the main point. That's the symptom that points back to the disease. So what is the main point? When you read verse 10 again, which we've looked at uh, already three or four times today, do we not all have one Father? Has not one God created us? Now, some people have tried to make this reference, one Father, to be Abraham. And Abraham took Hagar and so forth and so on. It's, it's very clear based on the text. That's not what he's talking about because he says, has not one God created us? This is uh, clearly a reference to Yahweh. God, the Father of us all by creation and the Imago Dei, more specifically of Israel, and he created her, he chose her to be his people, and they were the sons and daughters of God in the same family. So Malachi is saying, you're brothers and sisters. And in verse 10, why do you deal treacherously each against his brother? Now, this word for treacherous is it's, it's a wonderful, uh, it's a wonderful reference. It's 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 and it's very it's very vivid. It's actually related to the word garment or clothing, and we might say the word uniform. And as such, it would be as if you were in May wearing the uniform of a United States Marine let's say, back in World War II, and in June you were wearing an SS uniform. In, in other words, the word is used that you're wearing a uniform in order to deceive and act treacherously towards those around you. Not everyone who says there's a, there are believers are believers. They're not. But they wear the clothes. They look like it. They talk like it. But they're not. And that's what was happening here. These people were saying, we worship the God of Israel. You know, as they went and made their sacrifices to the, at the Asherah poles and to Baal. And thinking that was okay. They were claiming to be loyal to the one true and living God, but they were not. They were treacherous and malachi is arguing here that if god is your father start acting like it be in essence be kind to one another don't act treacherously with your fellow men and women therefore the main point here is about remaining loyal to god remaining faithful to god remember loyalty true faithful allegiance. That's what this passage is about. They had lost their allegiance to God. It was mixed. They had done the Solomon thing. They had gone out and they had mixed this worship of God with this worship of these other gods. Israel had violated God's law, disobeyed His word, and the priests said nothing. In fact, my guess is there were many of the priests who were involved in this same sort of thing. 
and they said nothing. Now the problem, one of the problems, and I, you know, the, the messages, I, ha- I actually have a, an extra page in here, so it'll take maybe two or three minutes uh, more than I ordinarily do because I want to explain some of these things, and yet even while I do that, I have to, by virtue of our context, leave other things out. But they were divorcing their wives in order to marry these other women, and yet all the way up to the end of the nation of Israel, it was lawful to take up to four wives. What's up with that? Why were they divorcing them when they could just simply take another wife? That's a whole nother message. But the point is they were betraying their entire family in order to follow after false gods. Now, let me, I got to say something just because of today's world that we live in. And... uh, I want to be very clear so that you don't hear what I'm not saying. Malachi is not talking about marriages between different races. Malachi is not talking about cross-cultural marriages where people come from different places. Maybe they have different color skin. Maybe they speak different languages. That's not what he's talking about. Malachi is talking about what it means to be in the family of God. And when you deliberately marry someone outside of the family of God in a theocratic kingdom, that was trouble. Because God's law forbade those kinds of marriages. It had nothing to do with race. It had everything to do with what you believe. I mean, we know in Exodus 34 and Deuteronomy 7, they weren't to marry. But I want you to keep in mind a couple of things. If you think, John, where are you straying off on this thing? Well, it's because of the world that we live in. And I want to remind you that Moses married a Midianite Arab gal. Her name was Zephora. Nice Arabic word that means to whistle or to warble. Okay, And no one is going to argue, hear me, no one is going to argue that David, and by extension, Jesus Christ was any less Jew because Boaz married Ruth. It doesn't make any sense. It's not what he's talking about. He created, how many? God created us all. Don't get lost in this nonsense out here. They want to divide and separate, but the truth is God created us in His image. In His image, we were created by God. However, it does matter what you believe. The New Testament is very pointed about the same issue. It says Christians are not to marry non-Christians. Actually, that's even an extension of that. I It's... It's a broader concept than that. We're not to be, uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15 says this, do not be bound together with unbelievers. Bound. This word is the same as companion. Or you may have a different word, but we don't even have an English word that translates it. Some other languages do. 
it's this, that word means to be, to be bound. In other words, it's, a, it's like the, the engagement, the promise. It, it's not a small thing. Companion just gives you this notion, ah, yeah, we were companions for a while. Or this. No, 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 this is a legal term that some other languages have. English does not. And so they were having uh, such a difficult time here. There's no concord, it says. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? And what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? There's no concord between God's people and pagan worshipers. Not at an intimate level. Now, some have married unbelievers. Some have gone into uh, business or other intimate kind of relationships with, with unbelievers. I mean, does God condemn today as in Malachi? I mean, Malachi, cast them out of the tent, let them all die. That's what Malachi says, oh, by the way. No, no, no. We do not live in a theocracy. Through Christ's death, we find mercy, we find grace. We don't live in a political theocracy. We live in his kingdom. We are citizens of that kingdom. So in such a case, what are you to do? Live lives worthy of your calling. And who knows? Perhaps it may be that your spouse will come to faith. Yet for the theocracy, entering into those kind of marriages... Uh, Verse 12 says, As for the man who does this, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob. Now the idiom, while it's difficult to translate, is impossible to miss the meaning. No matter what your translation says, it's like you're in trouble. Big trouble. And so what is he saying? He's saying, be loyal to God, to his word, to his people. Do not bind yourself with those outside of the family. And do not betray the vow you made to your spouse. And that had a particular meaning to Malachi, but it has a meaning in principle for us too. Verses six, uh, 13 through 16, uh, Malachi, he continues this. I mean, just, he's just hammering them. And, and this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. I mean, the Lord is refusing to accept these sacrificial offerings uh, from these guilty individuals. They've dumped their faithful wives. They've picked up pagan women. And uh, yet they're still offering at this altar. this This is inconceivable to me. But I try to put myself as best I can in their position uh, but it's it's really it's it's really difficult, and then they're confused as to why God's not answering them. That God no longer uh, regarded their sacrifice, and it was because they had dealt tre- treacherously with their wives. Now, men today, you know, fast forward twenty four hundred years ago uh, from Malachi to us today, first. Uh, Peter has something to say about this. First Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life 
so that nothing will hinder your prayers. There's a connection here. There's a connection. Even though we don't live under a theocracy, God still makes demands of us as to how we treat our spouse. God refuses to listen and apparently still refuses to listen to the man who does not live graciously and humbly and lovingly and respectfully with his wife. Malachi continues on in verse 15. This is the most difficult uh, verse here uh, to translate and therefore interpret. Did he... Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And, and what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. It, almost hopeless to translate. But there's one thing that stands out. Old Testament scholar, evangelical scholar, Walt Kaiser wrote this. The key to understanding verse 15 is this word, one. And, and as he, he points out, as I pointed out earlier, one doesn't have anything to do with Abraham. Um, this, this goes back to God created Adam and Eve in the garden and making them one. And this all leads to Malachi's conclusion. And that is uh, where he makes one of the, the, the strongest uh, protests anywhere in Scripture against divorce but again it's hopeless to translate or very nearly so the esv and some other versions read this for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her uh, says the lord king james version he hateth putting away the new american standard and some others for i hate divorce says the lord the god of israel now the the ESV seems to fit best. The King James is possible. Uh, the NASB, you have to do real gymnastics grammatically in order to come up with that statement. And so it, 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 it says something that simply is not there. Uh, that, doesn't, that doesn't reduce the impact. It's just I would be careful about making that statement based on what you think Scripture says. Let me, let me go back to Martin Luther's statement. I, I want to pay double homage to uh, Reformation Day here. If I profess the, with loudest voice and clearest exposition with every portion of the truth of God except that little point which the world and the devil are at the moment attacking... I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved, and to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. Let none of us here think that because they have not been divorced, that this text is for somebody else. Ooh, Malachi's talking about somebody else, not talking about me. That's not true. And, and this isn't some homiletical trick. This is actually the text demanding this. This is, the issue is 
disloyalty to God as symptomatically witnessed through divorce. Divorce was a symptom. And like Eve, we listened to serpent, the serpent's voice. You know, Satan saying, ah, this doesn't apply to you. I mean, like, you're special. So just don't worry about, don't worry about that. I mean, so what does this disloyalty look like outside? Excessive alcohol? Some other kind of addiction? Maybe it's about pain and hurt that keeps you from seeing God through that lens. Maybe it's brought on about our own desires. For others, it may be one of the addictions that are just simply too numerous to mention. But do not, based on the Word of God, think that this message is not applicable to you. It is, and to me. Finally, uh, if you love God, and you love His Word and His family, you will automatically hate disloyalty. You will be and stand against it. And if you're loyal, this is why you've got to keep priorities straight. If you are loyal to God the Father, you'll be loyal to your child. If, if you are loyal to God, you will be loyal in your business. You see, it stems from there. It comes from there. If there's a problem down here, that's symptomatic of something else. It's about your relationship with Jesus Christ. And what we want to do is develop a loyalty in our hearts towards our Heavenly Father, our spiritual family, our friends, and our spouse. Loyalty is, is, is rare today. I, there is so much more to say. Uh, so much. But Lee was loyal to Grant's name for an act of kindness. What kind of loyalty does that demand of us when Jesus Christ in the greatest act of kindness and sacrifice in all of eternity how should we live? We have been bought with the blood of the Lamb. Our loyalty is do him. He is worthy of that loyalty. And we must be loyal to him. And in doing so, we will be loyal to one another. Father, we're so grateful and thankful that you have given us the things that that we need not just to live but to live abundantly and yet sometimes our hearts and our minds don't see those pathways are obscured because of 
sin because of a, a feeling that you're not really there for us, that you are not really with us, that you would abandon us. And so we, we try to self-medicate with all kinds of things and it ends up in no place good. Let us understand once and for all that your love for us is unconditional and it is eternal. And we thank you for that. Through Christ our Lord, amen.